the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. From the streets of Melrose Park to the trading floor of the Merc, he's fought for every dollar he's ever earned. And now, with personal liberty and our system of capitalism under assault in America, he's here to seize back our rights from the government. With a cigar in one hand and a copy of the Declaration of Independence in the other, he's Sean Thompson. And this is The Sean Thompson Show. This looks like on top of me, so everybody... Rather than focus on the dimwit in dire diapers, I mean, it's too easy at this point. It's too easy. The traitor and thief, asset of the Chinese Communist Party. Let's focus on the ideology a little bit. And we have a, a, a teachable moment here in Chicago because it reminds me of why we need to focus on the failures of government supremacy everywhere. You see, it may it's always disguised as a utopia. And there's a famous clip. When the Chicago Teacher Union was endorsing the communist crook pig, may he burn in hell, Hugo Chavez. And they said, Venezuela has the education and the government system to be admired and to be replicated. And shortly thereafter, Hugo Chavez, may he burn in hell for a thousand millenniums, walked around the city. And he said, this building is the people's building. That building is the people's building. It's a very famous video. And what it is, is an example of where government supremacy leads to. Nothing is private property. It is all asset of the state. Now, I use the term often. Squirrel, you've heard me. When I talk about the government and I say backdoor nationalizing entire sectors of our economy. See, this is the trick. And the government does their extortion tactics through regulation. This is how they always backdoor, turn everybody's property into their property. You're just the manager of it. And if you own property in the formerly great city, now sewer, ghetto, called Chicago, if you own property in the formerly great county, Cook, now sewer, punchline nationally of absolute corruption, Crook County, or Illinois, unfortunately, you understand that you don't own anything. You manage it. You're a groundskeeper. And now you have Maria Pappas in her Liberace costume come out and say to you openly, we're not taxing people based on the value of it. We're taxing them based on the needs of the government. I think that was the most important, really the most important thing a politician can say to you in the last hundred years. She's telling you openly that when you live in these Democrat stronghold sewers, Nothing is on the table of any, uh, of any covenant between government and freedom of the citizen. It's off the table. So what you saw yesterday is not being reported to you properly. Chicago doesn't give good things to businesses. What they did, again, is remind people, you own nothing in the sewer of Chicago. You own nothing. What's yours is what we let you have. And you'll do what we say when it comes to your so-called workers. Breaking news to tell you about City Council has passed the paid leave ordinance with a 36 to 12 majority. It will require. 
Now, 36 to 12 majority. What that tells you is there's 36 low-life bust-outs that never did anything in their life. Nothing. Never had an actual business. Like the moron, Big Lori Lightfoot, calling himself Brandon Johnson. He's never done anything. And if you remember, the bust-out, although making $200,000, was on a payment plan for his water bill. That's important. More important than just the obvious that he's a low-life scumbag. What that tells you is necessities mean nothing. It's only the illusion and the desire of success that they want to portray. And that's what Chicago is doing. So it'll be reported on the propaganda wings calling themselves media. And they, by the way, are too stupid to understand the bigger problem. They talk about these stories as if they're individual. They're not. Supporters of the measure say it will benefit especially minority workers who've long had to choose between being paid and caring for themselves and their families. Hey, hey, you, hey, child, you morphodite. That's the choice of everybody, not minorities, of everybody. The difference is some people choose better. And maybe what you could recognize, dimwit, what you could recognize is Mao Zedong failed, Fidel Castro failed, and Chicago and every other Democrat sewer ghetto shares this same story of a phony utopia that's just around the corner. We're helping you. We're just not there yet. So let's hear more propaganda of government supremacy, because that's what this is. But several business groups call the action flawed and rushed. Jubilation at city council after passage of a historic measure doubling paid time off for workers. Now, this is like celebrating this half-assed gangster organization called UAW and their so-called contract. The details are what's important. During the negotiation, thousands of UAW workers were not just on strike, were fired. Just as the Teamsters got the UPS workers fired. And what happens is they get a phony loan, line of credit, for 10 times the money they're going to pretend to give the workers. And in the meantime, they'll end up firing the workers. Well, now what you did, thanks to the city of government, is that every business in Chicago, and I mean everyone, is bankrupt whether they know it or not. But everyone is now an asset of the sewer Once a great city, the sewer government that has destroyed that great city. And these stories that you heard that just this is just three months. This is three and a half months of businesses closing. After walking with a crutch and traveling over three miles by bus to get to her favorite grocery store, Southsider Lizette Watkins arrived to find the Aldi store at 76 and Ashland closed. Uh Uh-huh. Mark Cake, good morning. Uh, an abrupt closing for these four Walmart stores. Uh, really just about five days after these communities found out about Walmart. Aldi, Walmart. Today, people on Chicago's far south side are losing access to their local pharmacy. As- Walgreens, CVS, and now... Right now, local business owners say enough's enough after teens swarmed the loop again this weekend. In the middle of the chaos, two teenagers were shot. Big deal. In the meantime, now after this decision yesterday. Since the peak of COVID, we've been tracking stores and restaurants closing on Michigan Avenue. New at 10, a new Magmayo closure, a restaurant popular for locals and tourists alike. Our Matabel Gonzalez is live at the Grand Lux Cafe. Matabel. Gone. Did you like it? Gone. Like everything else, like the civility. But more importantly, what's really gone are not the fungible names and the fact that there's never been, never, been this amount of uh, vacant commercial space in what is considered to be the business district there has never been 
in the city of Chicago, this what does the cancer of Marxism, the cancer of government supremacy do? It takes more from those few remaining. That's why it is a cancer. And what you see in Venezuela is the future in everywhere a Democrat mafia member resides. It is the future. So it's funny when the Venezuelans come here. Why would they possibly come here? Because we're still giving away free stuff. Jaime Martinez was 12 years old when he arrived in the United States from Mexico. Now the registered nurse manages the clinic devoted to migrants. By the way, I want you to hear how this story is a soap opera, right? The story isn't the story. The story is about me. It's a dream come true. Is it really? I'm currently averaging about, um, I would say, 100 patients a day. It's very rewarding to be able to help this population in need. Here, So 100 patients a day, 100 patients a day, none of them have paid $1 into any taxation, into anything. They've never had to pay property taxes. All of the things that are driving you into bankruptcy, these people, not only didn't they pay, they're in the front of the line. Compassion is priceless. Compassion is full of dung. It's not compassionate to be a communist. Ask anybody who grew up in the Soviet Union or Cuba or Venezuela. Just tap on one of their shoulders. Did you have a great education system? How was the utopia that you were promised by Hugo Chavez when he seized business and property? Time in and time out. And the Chicago Teachers Union, they loved it. But the care comes at a cost. Uh So far, the county has spent more than $30 million treating 15,000 new arrivals. And that's so far. And the bills aren't paid. What you're having now, what you're seeing is the recipe, the definition of disaster. And it's being cheered. And now you're going to hear how people who've never done anything in their life are going to celebrate the destruction, the further bankruptcy of a city that just a decade ago was thriving. Now, that's not as, as much as it was thriving 10 years before that or 10 years before that. But the trajectory, I guarantee you, is absolute and total ghetto. Today is a good day. With this ordinance, we are taking a stand for working families. Is it an ordinance or an ordinance? I can't decide. Let's just call it an ordinance. With this ordinance... The measure requires Chicago business owners starting December 31st to grant workers at least five sick days and five vacation days and allow some to roll over yearly. This policy not only helps work. By the way, do you know why they do this? Because their mafia labor extortion unions were losing people by the day. It wasn't until they got the most corrupt political whore this country's ever seen who was in an asset of the Teamsters from 1972. When he could comb his own hair instead of that funeral parlor hair he's got sewn into his head now. He stole that election in Delaware in 72. And the labor extortion mafia will continue to keep him and every other half-ass would-be gangster in office because they cannot compete without government favoritism. They cannot exist without government pumping up and fluffing up the businesses that they pretend are employing the union. What this idiot just did is unionize all of the workers, even the ones who made 10 times the money because they were excellent at their job. They didn't want days off. They didn't need the government to come in, you know, like the Gibson waiters. You remember the Gibson waiters, squirrel? Oh, yes. They used to valet their Mercedes Benz there. Now, look, you get $15 an hour, and it's a moron that can't get your order right.
years, it helps businesses. Study after study shows paid leave. Study after study from where? The University of Caracas? Because that was a study too. All the intellectuals. It was the intellectuals that led the Soviet Union into a freaking prison camp. It was the intellectuals that led Cuba into a prison island. It was the intellectuals that started the migration that we're all dealing with now. And instead of resisting what destroyed those great countries, we're embracing the policies. And it's the same phony intellectuals, the children in our society that have never done a thing. These older birthing people, you're all failures and frauds. And you're all crooks. It increases worker productivity and worker protection. This begins to rectify. He means protection. Can we get an alderman that can talk? How about that drunk Riley? Can he talk? Wake his ass up, Otis. By the historical lack of worker protections amongst disinvested communities. The measure provides some payout exemptions for businesses with 50 or fewer employees. That's just how they're going to sell it. Oh, you're too big. Why? Why? Why is it only if it's so if it's so fracking helpful, then why only does it have to be over 50? I mean, you told me it's study after study after study. It's good. Well, then why not do it all the way? Because it's a lie. Their whole philosophy is a lie. And by the way, the reason they're doing this, they're drowning because those clips I played for you, those businesses don't pay taxes anymore. They're gone. And that's what will happen to every business under this. And you know what? You deserve it. So do me a favor. When you start to really slide, and it's even more undeniable than now, which is hard to even say, there's still somebody stupid enough to deny it. But after all, you are taught by a union school organization. Don't you ever borrow money from people who rejected your ideology. Don't you ever go to a decent state or take the money of decent people. Just... Take the money of those morons that were dumb enough to vote for government supremacy, communists, Marxists, the phony socialists, but more importantly, what you really are. Mafia members, gangster government, low-life lying frauds. But a coalition of nearly a dozen business groups said the city council sent a very clear message that they do not support Chicago's business community. So then what are you going to do? You going to wait? You see, if you really were a business organization, you'd lock the frickin' door today. When are you going to come back? Never. You have to implement the very tactics that this mafia implements to shake you down. Shut the frickin' door. Oh, you got you here. I got good news for you. You don't only have 10 days off. You got them all off. You don't know, who, you don't know how, to, how to negotiate with gangsters. You got to out-gangster them. You got to out-bully them. You're going to threaten me? Now you have nothing. Because sooner or later, that's the result. Or are you going to wait till uh, Hugo Chavez really kicks in? 312-642-5600. Call Sean now. 312-642-5600. AM560. The answer. Nobody ever asks. Why are the Venezuelans here? What are you doing? I thought your country was great. You had Hugo Chavez. Chicago public school teachers loved it. Communist bastard, may he burn for eternity. Why are you here? You have Maduro. Don't you have universal health care? You got government health care. Yeah, you do. You got government health care. You got government rent. You got government food. Why are you leaving? And in the meantime, you're bringing it here. But don't worry. There's still some good news uh, uh, for the Chicagoans who uh, managed to somehow get the attention of a corrupt communist government. It seems that uh, y- you're going to get a hotel. 
With colder weather starting to settle in, the city is preparing to turn a Gold Coast hotel near the Magnificent Mile into a shelter. But it's not... For- oh, that's good for property values. Now, how does this work? Can uh, anybody who wants to pay for a room go there? Or who's really going to go there when you move in the wretches? For migrants, the Selena Hotel will be used for the local unhoused population. And that plan is not going over well with some workers in this hotel who are now being laid off. Did they have a lot of notice? Hey, did they get their 10 days? You just gave 10 days to all the workers. What about these guys? No? Oh, they weren't 50? All right. How weren't they 50? Did we find out who owns the hotel? And did we find out what the crooked city is going to pay per room? Did we find any of the details out? Do you think it'll be better or worse than $91,000 a month for an empty lot that may have contaminated ground? Regina Waldrop has that story. It's a boutique hotel located just steps from the Magnificent Mile. Oh, oh it, ain't, it ain't too boutique. Do you think they're doing this at the Peninsula? Oh, it's a boutique hotel. Really? How boutique is it? I got a guy in the, in, in the hallway with a, with a needle in his arm sw- flipping and twitching. It's where Angelique Campbell has worked for 25 years. I feel left out. Last week, the housekeeping supervisor says she was shocked when she got a letter that said Selena Chicago would be closing Friday. When I- you know what? Are you as surprised as the neighbors or the people who depended on the Aldi store on the south side? Or were you as surprised as the people who depended on one of the four Walmarts that closed? Or were you one of the people who had your, your pharmaceutical drugs at the Walgreens or the CVS that closed? See, it's, it's, it's always surprising how things end abruptly in communism, isn't it? It's really surprising. I read it. I couldn't believe it. Saying that tomorrow is our last day of work. Devastating. A spokesman for the- But the alderman said, wait a minute, I just heard this crooked bastard, didn't I? I just heard him say everything was going to go great. It was swimmingly. Adding the measure will devastate Chicago businesses, especially small businesses, and make it even more difficult to attract and retain businesses like restaurants, grocery stores, and pharmacies in underserved neighborhoods. We have to protect workers, yes. But we also got to look to protect the business who hire the workers. Listen, you, you band of illiterate morons. You don't have to do anything. You know, this is the funniest thing. Our country and the success of it wasn't because the government orchestrated anything. You see this fight that we're having right now? This is nothing compared to what it was in the beginning. Because it, was this, it attracted the same kind of whores. The same kind of corrupt wannabe gangsters. The only difference is they had no power. For instance, in American law, a hundred years ago, the idea... That a government, especially one that is crooked year in and year out, the most crooked city in the country, the idea that they could tell business what to pay their people was so outrageous, there would have been a civil war. Oh, yes, there would have been. See, back then, our ancestors, they didn't want to be slaves. These people want you to believe it was always this way. You know where it was this way? In the country, all the migrants are fleeing. That's how their government works. A lot of these businesses are everyday people just like us. I'll tell you what, which one isn't? Which business isn't? Do you think it, because it's a big business, there's not people there? You see, this is the whole thing you're, you, that's getting lost in the translation of communism. The haves versus the have-nots. Without big business, everybody lives like the Venezuelans that are fleeing the ghetto. You know, like in Chicago. And you're going to learn it. You're just going to be like those moron kids that every family's got them. Don't touch the stove. It's hot. No, I'm going to touch it. Don't touch the stove. It's hot. Now you burned yourself, stupid. Don't come to me for salve. 
require Chicago employers to provide 10 days of paid time off for employees. That includes five sick days and five vacation days. Some opponents say the ordinance could create. By the way, you think it's about the days off? This is on the back of a massive increase in pay. Because what they what the government has done, what the Chicago Democrat mafia has done is backdoor unionize the workers. And the ironic part is they don't even have representation because most of the people who are celebrating this are too stupid to see what they really did is give themselves a bigger piece of your paycheck. They didn't give you a raise. They gave themselves a raise. Now, why did they do that? Because the city of Chicago is going broke because it's chasing out business after business after business. Mark K, good morning. Uh, An abrupt closing for these four Walmart stores. Uh, Really just about five days after these communities. What do you think one Walmart store, one, pays to the city it's in? One. Sales tax, the employee tax, the tax for everything, the property tax, just one. It's worth 100000 Minimum wage employees, just one Walmart. Found out about Walmart's departure. Now, the residents are, of course, frustrated with the loss of the store and already having been. Don't be frustrated. Don't be frustrated. Thank your slave master. Thank a Democrat. Thank Lori Lightfoot. Thank big Lori Lightfoot, Brandon Johnson. Thank Rahm Emanuel. Thank the Madigan Mafia. Thank them all. Because this isn't anybody's fault but government. None of this would have happened. Without government destroying the economic opportunity of the honest man. Chicago, New York, New Jersey. Only ones that that survive and thrive there are the ones in on the scam. You're going to learn. Just do me a favor. Don't move to Florida. Keep your crooked asses around other Democrats. 312-642-5600. They're stupid. I was listening to the Sean Thompson show. I am saddened that this guy supposedly represents us. I mean, I am appalled. He's just disgusting, sexist pig, and an absolute disgrace. Thank you. AM560, the answer. You know why it says to the shores of Tripoli, right, Squirrel? That's where the Barbary Pirates, the Islamo-Nazi Barbary Pirates, back then it was before the Nazis, they were just inbred goat lovers. Yeah, they were! And they used to take our people, kidnap them, attack our military. And we said, don't do that. Don't do that. We have no beef with you. What's the problem? And they said, well, you're infidels. So our government said, really? How about we just kill you? And that's why it's in the song. Because the Marine Corps did what the Marine Corps does. And it reminds me, as we're celebrating Veterans Day, reminds me, how many people even know the idea that none of these government whores, none of them, were, were what the veterans had in mind when they were fighting the ideology that's destroying Chicago. You see, we fought the socialists. We fought the communists. We fought the dictators and the government supremacists all around the world. This wasn't in mind. So here's what we're going to do. It's Veterans Day tomorrow. At the bottom of every hour, I'm going to play you just one unique clip about one true hero veteran that would have never, never supported a government fraud, socialist, Marxist, communist, or government supremacist, or any Chicago Democrat ever. He told his mother he was going to stay with some relatives in San Diego for the summer. Instead, he forged her signature and enlisted in the Navy. 
His name was Calvin Graham, and at 12 years old, he was the youngest American combatant during World War II. Young Calvin... 12 years old. 12 years old! Look at these fat, useless, entitled, ignorant punks that want the government to pay everything for them as they click away on their phones, you idiots. ...was a gunner aboard the USS South Dakota during the four-day naval battle of Guadalcanal when shrapnel tore through his jaw, knocking out all his teeth and leaving him bleeding profusely. Rather than tend to his own wounds, he worked feverishly to save those around him. I took belts off the dead and made tourniquets for the living, Calvin would recall years later. It was a long night. It aged me. 38 men would die that night, and the 12-year-old was awarded the Bronze Star and a Purple Heart for his heroics. His mother saw newsreel footage of her son and turned him in. Calvin would spend three months in the brig and was stripped of all his medals and was dishonorably discharged. It would take 50 years before his medals were posthumously restored. Yeah, think about that. Went to the brig. Now, in Chicago, you could shoot 14 people, and I'll see you tomorrow. Lowlifes. Really lowlifes. Chuck and Dullivan. Hey, uh, flipping and twitching was my high school garage band, so thanks once again for uh, <laughs> mentioning it. Anytime. Hey, uh, this, this, thing here, this thing here with this 10 days off that they got going for the businesses. So if I was on Granville and I owned Flacco's Tacos, or if I owned the Hubbard Inn downtown Chicago, Everybody could get together and say, hey, let's go on a 10-day uh, hiatus. They'd be shut down. I Chuck, don't understand. Chuck, here's, the, here's the way to interpret the story. You don't own it. You don't own it. The government lets you run it. They let you park in the, in the parking spot that says boss, but you're not the boss. Brandon Johnson and his 50 thieves calling himself Alderman, they're the boss. They decide what you pay. They decide everything. In fact, they even decide what taxes you pay has nothing to do with the value of anything. It's what the cost of their corruption is. And not a one veteran fought and died for the right of a corrupt Democrat mafia or some dirty whore politician to decide how to run your business. Not a one of them. Remember that. Uh, George Naperville. Yeah, Sean, why don't they utilize all those boutique motels on Mannheim Road? Oh, yes, I like that. Well, you know what? I think they're already full of illegal aliens. How many can you fit in a room? It'll be like those clown cars at the old circus. Do we still have the circus or just uh, the city hall? Rich, Northwest Indiana. Hey, Sean, guess who uh, the Chicago Teachers Union's welcoming this November? Are they fat? Because they like them big. Uh, no. no, but oh. she's an American revolutionary Marxist named Angela Davis. Remember her from the 70s? Oh, sure I do. Back then, the, the, the country didn't like communists. Now they embrace them. I think it's good. Yeah. Angela Davis, hopefully yeah. she'll make it there. It doesn't, you know, here's, here's to the point. It's almost funny to watch them give each other awards and to watch them celebrate successes as things are collapsing around them. It really is. And you know what else is funny, Rich, is that stupid faux hawk on the top of this moron's hair who looks a lot like a big light foot. He finally, we got a mayor that can pull off that vest look at least. Oh boy. Here's a guy with nothing to do. Talk about paying property taxes and losing value on his assets. Mark Wyamiller, that portfolio is starting to look like a notebook. Hey, Sean, I'm, I'm going to see you at Freedom Summit tomorrow, but real quick on that Selena Hotel, that's the former Tremont Hotel. It's 250 feet from the Water Tower Place in the Hancock, and it's where Mike Ditka's restaurant was. What do you think Mike Ditka would think of his hotel, a former restaurant becoming 
a shelter for a thousand migrants. Mark, you know you know where Mike Dicka lives, don't you? I mean, where he really lives. Yeah. About a mile no, from me. About a mile from me. About a mile. That's what he thinks about it. And you want to know what's funny, Mark? You know, I know you like, I know you like property. I know you like uh, this Chicago area. By the time these Marxists are through, if you can weather the storm, you can buy that hotel for about thirty-two thousand. Thank you very much. They'll show you how to destroy property values. Just take a look at Caracas. What do you think a condo cost in Caracas? I'll give you seven dollars. Rich Indian Head Park. Hey, Sean. How you doing tonight? Good. How are you? Sean, uh, I just wanted to say I, um, I make sure they call uh, um, every year at, on uh, Veterans Day. I know. Uh, to, ask all, to ask all your listeners to say, uh, say a prayer for all our veterans and a special prayer for all the ones who lost their lives so we can continue uh, to have the freedoms we have today. Well, I also but want to say something veterans. to you that, that nobody knows and not a lot of people know. You yeah. are one of those veterans, aren't you? Yeah, I am. Yes, yeah. I am. And you never say a word. And you know what? I'm proud to have you call my show, and I'm proud to have you part of the listenership. You make you make everything uh, worthwhile. I mean it. That's See, that's a man right there. Always nice things. Say a prayer for this guy and that guy. And that's somebody whose life was truly in danger. And when he was in Vietnam, crawling through the mud for no reason, risking his, his own life and watching his friends get blown away, he didn't do it so this country could become what he was fighting. I'll be hell-bent. If I'm going to let these crooked bastards sell their Ponzi nonsense without a fight. 312-642-5600. Broadcasting from the Petri dish of corruption known as the state of Illinois. In the upper Midwest, in the nation, and around the world. This is the Sean Thompson Show on AM560, The Answer. AM560, The Answer. All gave some. Some gave all. Some Roger Roselle. Hey, Sean. Yes. Uh, you left out a detail on the uh, uh, the inception of the Marines and the fighting of the Barbary pilots. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, General Pershing ordered his men to to dip the uh, the bullets in the ammo in pork fat before they used them. And that was the only way that they were going to deter these guys. They only the blackjack. Blackjack Pershing was an army guy, but you're right about the the bullets. And he left. I think he left one or two of the Barbaries alive to go back and tell their friends what had happened. And uh, I I love that story. It's a phenomenal story, and it also shows you the intellect of these morons hasn't changed in a hundred years. Absolutely, they only understand um, you know force. So oh, that's why okay, I'm going to tell you what I, I love the idea that right now they're being told Netanyahu is going to give them four hours. You can have four hours a day. Sure you can. <laughs> I hope they take them up on that. Go ahead. Come on out, Roaches. That's when we can really do some bombing. Thank you very much, Roger. I appreciate you're it. You're welcome. Thank you. Oh, you're too harsh. Am I too harsh? I don't think I am. Do you think I, I, I'm too harsh? Tell the truth, Squirrel. Am I too harsh? Or maybe a little bit? Uh, nope. Here's here's a guy I want you I want you to hear this. Where's the clip? Well, two things. One is the, if you just follow the logic of what Barack Obama said, then you just shouldn't do anything. This is Douglas Murray on Pierce Morgan. 
if you're Israel, you should be attacked and just sit back and say, great, we'll wait for the next one. Um, but the second and more important thing is your question supposes that there is a sort of peaceful Palestinian population in the Gaza who would love a two-state solution and then a few bad apples in Hamas. I think that's not true. Why is it that when uh, one of the victims of the music festival, uh, a poor young German-Jewish girl, uh, who it seems was was raped and then uh, brutally uh, murdered and taken into the Gaza naked. Why was it that you can find, and anyone can find this online, uh, a crowd of ordinary Gazans, it wasn't uh, Hamas, it wasn't a Hamas rally, ordinary Gazans uh, uh, spitting on her body, uh, hitting her body, mutilating her body further as it went down the street. Does that strike you, Piers, as a uh, placid population of peacenik types who are just desperately waiting for a two-state solution to be put back on the table for the millionth time in the last 70-something years. It doesn't seem like that to me. Me either. What do you say, Congresswoman, faced with a camel like a camel's ass? What do you say, Rashida Tlaib, aside from being the woman that spawned the idea of putting you, you, you women in those beekeeper costumes? Because for you, I think it might be okay. Go ahead, put one of those hoods on. Glenn in Oakbrook. Hey, Sean, I wanted to give a shout-out to a World War II veteran he lives in Park Ridge. He's 90, just turned 95 in July. His name is Don Hurst. Don was a gunner in, uh, in a plane shot down over Germany, and uh, the pilot and co-pilot passed, and he dragged the crew into Switzerland so they wouldn't uh, get captured by the, the Germans. And uh, his motto was, it's either them or us. Don't you love the fact that guys like that came back and they had a fruitful life afterwards? I mean, I just, I love those stories and I love the idea that back then, all of them went out of their way to join because they knew they were fighting for the principle of freedom. And you look at what this country has fallen into in just the last 70 years. 70 years. Just another, another part to his story. He went to Lane Tech High School, and he got an ID forged to make him seem older than what he was. So he entered the military underage just to fight for the country. We're all better off for knowing the story, and you're, you're better off for knowing him. You know him, right? Is, that, or do you, is it just some Oh, yeah. I, I, know him, I know him personally. In fact, I'm having dinner with him Monday night. All right. You, really, tell him for all of us we're so proud of him. Give, give me his name one more time. Don Hurst, H-U-R-S-T, Park Ridge, Illinois. That's when you used to be proud of people from this area. Thank you very much. Now who's from this area? The socialist, the Marxist, the communist he was fighting. Now they're in charge of the city, the county, and the state. We'll be back after this. This is the Sean Thompson Show on AM560. The answer. From the streets of Melrose Park to the trading floor of the Merck, he's fought for every dollar he's ever earned. And now... With personal liberty and our system of capitalism under assault in America, he's here to seize back our rights from the government. With a cigar in one hand and a copy of the Declaration of Independence in the other, he's Sean Thompson. And this is The Sean Thompson Show. This looks like on top of me, so everybody just follow me, because we need a little controversy. The beauty of being old. If you are lucky enough to have been an adult in America prior to 2008, you probably are still one of those patriots. You probably still remember when our government had some sort of credibility. And if you're born probably from 1940 to 1970, you remember when the FBI 
specifically had a mission to keep America free from communist infiltration. Oh, it was true. That used to be a primary objective before they started putting communists at the head with uh, Brennan and Comey, who I think openly supported a communist running for president in the 70s. My next guest remembers when the FBI was against communism. He was the FBI against communism. He spent 22 years investigating, managing counterintelligence investigations involving Cuba, Russia, and China. He has a new book out called The Queen of Cuba, an FBI agent's inside account of the spy who in, invaded, detect, evaded, excuse me, detection for 17 years as she worked for the Department of Defense. Am I right, Peter Lapp? Yes, yeah, Sean, thanks for having me. That, uh, that is correct. Worked within our Department of Defense as a civilian analyst, senior analyst at the Defense Intelligence Agency, which is the CIA of the Department of Defense, essentially. Peter, yeah, I have I have a very dear friend of mine who I used to trade with at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. He, he, he like myself, you know, started with nothing and he did well and he has he had sons and he sent them to Johns Hopkins University. And we still make fun of him to this day because we said you sent these capitalists to Johns Hopkins, you came back communists. Isn't that where this woman went to college and was really infiltrated by the Communist Party of Cuba? Well, she did get her master's degree from Johns Hopkins. Her undergraduate was from the University of Virginia. Um, you know, it's it, Johns Hopkins School of Advanced International Studies does educate uh, a broad swath of of folks. Um, you know, Paul Wolfowitz, I believe, was there as an administrator for a long period of time. But certainly in the eighties, when Anna was a graduate student. Um, in, in the era of the Iran-Contra scandal, um, and when Reagan was supporting the Contras, or the Sandinistas in El Salvador and Nicaragua, excuse me, he was supporting the Contras against the Sandinistas. Yes. She was very much opposed to this uh, in Reagan's U.S. foreign policy. As somebody who has worked uh, exclusively on this issue, and you've witnessed firsthand the devastation of this ideology on the people, I was lucky enough to be very dear friends of a, of, of a Cuban, and his parents fled Cuba when Castro took over. I went to Cuba in 2003, which is after you, were, you actually arrested her. Um, when you see it up close, are you still fascinated as I am as to why anybody would even entertain the concept of communism in control of anything? You know, it's it's part of the hypocrisy that is Ana Montes because she's now free and and you know can can go to Cuba. There's certainly no there are legal restrictions, but it would be a one way trip. And and yet she's decided for personal reasons and family reasons, which I can understand. But she decided to live in Puerto Rico and live in the United States free. She has uh, in the past said to a variety of different people that the Cuban people have all they need, which frankly is laughable um, in, in, a, in a totalitarian regime where the basic freedoms that we have, freedom of speech, freedom of expression, freedom of, of the media, they aren't, that's not legal in Cuba. You will go to jail for expressing those basic human rights. And it's that hypocrisy that is, uh, quite frankly, a telltale of Ana Montes and how she's willing to help the Cuban Castro regime 
but it really never helped the Cuban people. No, it's, it, it's, and that's, that's, that's just difficult to, to see to grasp, it, really. To see yeah. it up close, when you see the people and when you see the fear in their eyes and you watch the yeah. squalor they're forced to accept as normal. I mean, that trip was, was, you know, I was obviously always in love with the idea of the enlightenment and freedom. But when you see... A, a beautiful place turned into a prison, it affects you forever. But what's fascinating about this story is that Ana Montes, she was in our Defense Intelligence Agency as a senior analyst from 1985 to 2001. And what was it that tipped you off? How did you find her? Because the reason I'm asking you is, I'm wondering how many others were never found, but I want to know how you found her. Well, it's it's a it's a it's a detailed and long story. Frankly, we had uh, three individuals, three Cuban intelligence officers, two of whom uh, ended up escaping Cuba on a raft. And the book, I'm really proud because their story has never been told, and their escape is really dramatic. But these were Cuban intelligence officers in Havana who were committing espionage against Cuba out of out of you know, hatred for the regime and out of loyalty to this new country that they were trying to get to, which is the United States. They provide us the tidbits that lead to the Loretta Vispa arrest in Miami in, in September of 1998, which then combining those two significant intelligence successes leads to Anamantes eventually. You know, we have such a strong... Um, block of, of, of Cuban Americans here. And when you're around them, I, when, you, when you go to Miami and when you discuss, even with the grandkids of the people who fled Fidel Castro in the beginning, these are people who love the concept of our nation. Are you still shocked that to this day, Cuba is communist? How have they been able to maintain their iron grip on people? Is it simply because they just in prison, there are no defense attorneys, and there are no rules, and they just eliminate the, 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 the people who complain? I think it certainly helps. I think one of the things that the regime did so well uh, to this day, and I mean, the Castro regime lives even though Fidel's long dead, um, they're so good at, at existing in part because of their ability to collect intelligence, primarily from the United States. They're, I, I don't admire the Cuban intelligence service, but I have to respect them from a professional perspective because they have been incredibly good at finding not folks like Robert Hansen who are slimy and just want to make money and, and have a, a whole a, a host of other psychological issues, you know, may he rest in peace. But but the Anamantas of the world that are this they have this visceral empathy that, that would be offended by being paid by the Cubans. They're true believers. They're true believers, and that bond between the the agent, which is Montez, and the intelligence service is is really hard to break and break into, and it's it's a solid relationship. And I think that's why they've excelled at staying in power for so long, because they've been so good at collecting intelligence in addition to using their intelligence service to oppress their people and spy on each other and looking for and all those things that we, we take for granted in our country. You know, Peter, there's so many failures in our in our country right now that one slipped by without enough attention, in my opinion, and I'm still in shock of it and the lack of attention on it, and that is the fact that what kept Cuba alive 
through the through the bankruptcy years was number one they were still using the dollar up until 2008 which is staggering statistic and the reason is they were a central launch and hub for drug cartels that's where they staged a lot of their infiltration to our nation they were instrumental in it fidel castro's daughter reaped the benefits of having a dictator father um but more importantly they were partners with russia up until the fall of the Soviet Union. And then this year, very quietly, without a lot of attention, only six months ago, seven months ago, China goes there, and they're now in business with the Chinese Communist Party. And I'm wondering, why do you think this is now becoming normalized to have America surrounded by communists? I mean, after all, Russia going into Cuba was was the beginning of the missile crisis. I don't understand why there's no attention. Cuba, in my mind, you know, has always flown under the radar. Obviously, the Bay of Pigs and the, and the missile crisis was huge, but it's it's that's a that's in the history books now. When you look at today's intelligence landscape and counterintelligence landscape, it's China, Russia, China, Russia, Russia, China, back and forth. And Cuba flies is able to fly under the radar because they're this tiny country, the beautiful island, like you said. You know what? What? What military threat are they to the United States? Very minimal, but but their intelligence threat is phenomenal, and um, they just have an ability to to get under our skin and and really picket things under the radar. You know, even even at the FBI, the Cuba program never really received the kind of resources and emphasis that Russia and China do, and, and perhaps there's there's sound logic behind that. But you know, just I think we've we've Often, unless you really work Cuba for the United States government, you, you often dismiss them as being really not a threat. And those that know, know if you know, you know, but if you don't know, you're, you're kind of, uh, you know, you're out on a limb there. So, to speak. so you leave the, the agency. What, t- what year do you leave the FBI? Uh, right before the pandemic in 2020. So you leave right before the 2020 and you, you start in the FBI. What year did you start? 1998. So you were you were pretty new when you uh, led oh, to this. Yeah. She, she was arrested in 2001, and she just got out this year. Um, yeah. And I'm curious to know, when you realize, see, I'm from Chicago, right? And this is Saul Alinsky's headquarters. There's a reason the American Communist Party was in Chicago. They took the tactics of organized crime, and they married a hybrid mafia, only they're in that mafia are true believers. So you have the the self-enriching, aggrandized crooks who partner up with them. But the true believers are the ones that's a real danger. Because like you said, they're not enticed by money. They're in love with the control factor of government supremacy. And I'm wondering, she would have probably not been caught had it not been for some very specific information and some very, uh, very good agents who heard it. When you look around, I mean, I'm reading her. She's the son of a, of a colonel. Her brother was also an FBI agent. And when you see now you have the hindsight, the gift of, uh, 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 of old age, and you have hindsight into it. And, and like I said in, in the tease for you, it was uh, uh, Comer and Brennan who supported the communist that was running here in America in, sev- in the 70s. His name right now escapes me, but you remember who I'm speaking of. When you see that and you realize that these are just people, you know, laymen understand, they say government and you think right away of a G-man, right? He's got a suit, he's, he's a patriot, but the reality is there is no government, there's just men. And when you realize that this ideology has been quietly in our underbelly for a hundred years, are you comfortable 
in saying that these upper echelon positions are not inhabited by communists? I, I am. You know, I'm, I'm not going to agree with you on Comey and Brennan. I've had the opportunity to, in my career, brief both of them. It's not like we were on a first-name basis and I didn't um, work around them day in and day out. But, you know, I, I, I enjoyed working for Jim Comey as the director of the FBI and, and really enjoyed my time there. Frankly, I do have confidence in that premise that, that the higher echelons of our government are not run by uh, communists per se. I think there are folks within the government that certainly are have infiltrated, you know, the Anna Montezes of the world, the Kendall Myers of the world, the Robert Hansons, and whether, you know, and I also don't think Anna would consider herself a communist. I no, it's a hybrid. Yeah, it's a hybrid. Like, she's anti-American. She really hates our country. And I think that's the sadness to this story is that she, I, I don't think she, she, she doesn't see herself as a Cuban citizen. She doesn't see herself as a communist or a Marxist. She's more of a citizen of the world for whatever that means. <laughs> yeah. and, um, well, that's the hybrid. You know, doesn't really, and doesn't see herself as an American and is anti-American. I mean, what she told us she was going to do vis-a-vis Afghanistan if she had not been arrested had nothing to do with Cuba per se, but she was ready to spy if they asked about what we were doing in Afghanistan. And that's just, to me, un-American, especially oh. after 9-11 when, when 3,000 people were dead. It's just, it's hard to fathom. I can't even imagine being an FBI was, agent during that time. That has to be something that'll rock you. Heartbreaking. It, it's, uh, you know, for 9-11, everyone, 9-11, we all have our 9-11 story if we were alive then, but for me, you know, it, Every year, it's, it just it just gets me choked up, and I, I, I'd rather not talk. No, about I don't want to talk about it, but I, I want to say this, though, Peter, because I, I do believe you're right. It is a hybrid. It isn't the, the Communist Party of the 50s. It is, this, it, it is almost more dangerous because it has a hidden virtue of, of success. It has a hidden virtue of utopia. It's the same nonsense. It just doesn't have the clear definitions, and I think it's almost more dangerous, and I'll tell you what I mean by that. You and I both know the real threat is China and their infiltration into all of these little nook and crannies, communist countries, they're propping them up. I don't think Xi Jinping would admit to being a communist to the definition of the FBI 1950 definition of communism. But what he's done is also very troubling because he's infiltrated our country. He sponsors congressmen and senators in a bipartisan fashion. We have senators who are married to Chinese Communist Party daughters. We have a president who is intertwined we have Chicago Democrats who are intertwined. There's a lot of Chinese money in, in Chicago. And this is really the pervasive problem because you, they appear to be your friend. But the reality is they have a longer vision of destroying the principles of the enlightenment, of the unalienable rights of the citizen. And I'm wondering, are you seeing that hybrid also blur the lines between communism and our version of a republic? I think China has been a threat from an intelligence perspective and, and a growing military threat to the United States for decades. And with immigration and good immigration, we want good Chinese folks to come here and, and get PhDs and go work with DuPont and industry and do great things, invent great things for our country. We don't want them to steal it and take it back. And I think that's where China just plays by different rules. They've always done a whole of government approach that is is hard to 
you, you can't compete with that from an intelligence perspective. When you've got the government and the party and all the institutes and companies in China all working together yeah. to target U.S. technology, we can't stop that because we've got, you know, a company like General Dynamics and, and the Department of Defense and, and all these different little stovepipes that we don't do whole of government like China does. It's just it's it's. It's interesting to watch, but because of these freedoms that we take for granted and that divide between well, private sector and government, is it's it's just the way things are, frankly. I'm just glad I'm old because I can remember when there was definitions of clarity and there was a there was a principle of freedom and I'm starting to see the lines get blurred. And when you when you know you have so many people that are accepting the 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 open and notorious legalized bribery we have in our country and the campaign contributions and the money and it's nauseating and I want somebody in the FBI to be a jerk. I need a jerk in the FBI that doesn't want to get along with anybody, wants to break apart every scam. And I'm sad you retired. Not that you're a jerk, but I think you could have led us to one. In the meantime, I can't wait to go through the book. He is Peter J. Lapp. Thank you so much for making time and for writing the book, The Queen of Cuba, an FBI agent's insider account of the spy who evaded detection for 17 years. And something tells me you could write a couple of these books. Am I right? <laughs> this one was daunting enough. Let's get to the finish line first. And see. Come on, I, I want a know. whole series. I want a whole series. Because I, I miss those old... Yeah, ra- I used to listen to old radio. I was a communist for the FBI. You remember that show? <laughs> I do, yes. I do. I don't know. We'll see. Let me take a breath for a little while. And uh, I, I, maybe I'll take you up on that, that idea. But thank, thank I appreciate you having me on, Sean. Thank, thank you. you very much, Peter. I appreciate it. We'll be back with your calls and comments. This is the Sean Thompson Show on AM560, The Answer. AM560, The Answer. Veterans Day weekend. Tomorrow's Freedom Summit on Veterans Day. Hopefully I'll see you there. But on this Friday show, the bottom of every hour, we're going to give you a different story of true American veterans. Not a one of them voted for socialism, communism, Marxism, or the Chicago Democrat Mafia way to take over government in this country. It was Christmas Eve, 1944, and Army Chaplain Sam Neill of the 106th Infantry Division would spend it as a prisoner of war, cramped in a boxcar near the railroad yards at Limburg, Germany, with 200 hungry and scared young GIs. His unit had been overrun the previous week near Schoenberg and forced to surrender. They were packed so tightly they had to stand for days on end, subsisting only on water and a teaspoon of molasses. Neil led the men in prayers and sang Silent Night. A knock followed on the boxcar. You sing again, said a German guard in halting English, his eyes watering. They sang again. The guard returned with more food. They sang again. More food. It went on for hours. He disobeyed orders and saved us that night, Sam Neill would recall years later. Dr. Sam Neill would go on to found a community college in Florida and live to be 89. So, in 2003, an interview in which uh, the former FBI director, James Comey, admitted that he had supported before Jimmy Carter... This guy, by the name of Gus Hall. The communist vote is a vote for life. A vote for the communist ticket. It is a vote to end racism to all forms of discrimination. It is a vote for jobs, a vote for a decent income, a home for everyone, for full equality of women, especially on the job. 
It is a vote for free child care centers. It's like the UAW. And for working mothers, a six months maternity leave with full pay. Oh. It is a vote for free quality medical care, hospital care for all who need it. It is a vote for free college education for all regardless of income. We have the materials. We have the manpower to build a decent home for every family. We can build enough schools and hospitals. We can, if we can have modern mass transit systems, we can eliminate poverty and want. We can do all this. We can provide these services only if we eliminate corporate profits as the kingpin on the list of priorities. Now, in the 70s, that was correctly defined as communism. In the year 2023, that's the Democrat platform. Yes, it is. So do me a favor. Don't let these communist sympathizing roaches pretend to be patriotic or understand what our veterans died for, let alone fight for to this day. Uh, Terry, Northwest Suburbs. Yes, good evening. How are you doing? I wanted to thank you so much. I'm a veteran, CB veteran, and thank you for honoring us. It's a pleasure, and it's always a great time to listen to you, because if I want to get fired up, I turn your station. I've never... Thank you, Terry. I'm flattered that you even listen. Thank you, brother. And and I don't know if you you know what the Naval Seabees are, but we were... Yeah. Come on. My father was a Marine. Well, I served with him. We started in 1942. But I wanted to share something. I was listening to your guest. Coincidentally, I was hijacked to Cuba. On a plane? Yes, in 1971. Um, (laughs) I was stationed in in Puerto Rico on this Roosevelt Roads Navy base, and we we had just gotten deployed there. We were overseas in Nam, and we came back. That was our second deployment. And I had won a CB of the Month award, and I got a five-day pass from the commanding officer to take my fiancé home (laughs) to meet my mother. So we flew out to New York, and we were coming back from Kennedy Airport on a 747, and about an hour out, the hijackers took over the plane, yes. and the pilot announced, they said, due to difficulties beyond our control, we won't be landing in San Juan. We were landing in Havana, Cuba. Now, I was in the military, but back then, remember, they hated us then, too. Oh, yeah. So I, we, we did not wear uniforms. Okay, we couldn't travel in a uniform, so I was in civilian clothes. And the, the military on the plane were ripping their clothes off because we knew it was going to be hell when we landed. 747 was too big to land, but the pilot was a 20-fair white-haired captain who knew how to do it. He brought it in, landed without crashing. As if we would have crashed, they had no equipment down there. No, the you would have been done. You'd be a Cuban to this day. That plane was so big back then, we had to get off on a conveyor belt because they kept us there for three days. How did and, you get out? Uh, well, I, well, wasn't there a congressman that fought to let you guys get out? There was some special. I, 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 I you know, I was a kid, but I remember vaguely yes, something. Yes. And what happened was, if you have this, I'll tell you the story. Quick story. I'll call you back sometime and go over it in more yeah. detail. But Premier Kosygin was coming from Russia to visit Fidel. And he wanted to show the new 747 because it was came out in 71. He was proud of the plane. So he held us there for three days waiting for Kosygin to come to show us the plane, him the plane. Really? So they, they put us in. They put us in a hotel. You know, we're under guard. Yeah. And there's no police down there. It's all military. It's a military state, and they had submachine guns. And the other thing that was interesting when we got off the plane, this is 1971, no COVID virus. The first thing they do when we got into the terminal, they ask for your driver's license. They don't care about anything else. They know everything's on your driver's license. They're very smart. Yeah, they got. Yeah, back then you had your social security number. Yes, and they said, "Do you have your shot card?" And, of course, I, didn't, I did not tell them, my, my fiancé, I said, don't tell them I'm in the military. We spoke Spanish. I said, don't say anything. 
So they said, you're going to get vaccinated before we let you leave the tournament, whether you <laughs> like it or not. I had to get a smallpox vaccine and a number of others because they can you. Yeah, it's just like now. Yeah, had, it's like now. Had, That's what I said. The communist platform is the Democrat platform. Yeah. We had no choice, so I said, "Just take the damn thing." And we were there, and it was an incredible three days. And the people are fabulous. Oh, my best friend! I mean, when I went there, it's the most amazing thing. And you know, the same thing happened to me and my friends. We went to the airport; we were supposed to leave, and they said, "Plane's not leaving." Well, when's it going to leave? It was it was Sunday, Thursday, Thursday. What do you mean Thursday? That's how it is. And you're lucky if we let it leave. We had to go back to the... I mean, it, people do not realize the yeah. luxury of America. You are a slave in these utopian, socialist, communist, Marxist countries. And, you know, it reminds you of now in these Democrat states. Terry, thank you for the story and thank you for everything, really. And thank you for serving. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Ah, boy. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Do you, do, do you think that anybody is going to bring up the fact this is the platform of the American Democrats today. The communist vote is a vote for life, a vote for the communist ticket. It is a vote to end racism to all forms of discrimination. It is a vote for jobs, a vote for a decent income, a home for everyone, for full equality of women, especially on the job. It is a vote for free child care centers and for working mothers a six months maternity leave with full pay. It is a vote for free quality medical care, hospital care for all who need it. It is a vote for free college education for all regardless of income. We have the materials. We have the manpower to build a decent home for every family. We can build enough schools and hospitals. We can, if we can have modern mass transit systems, we can eliminate poverty and want. We can do all this. We can provide these services only if we eliminate corporate profits as the kingpin on the list of priorities. You're sure he's not a <laughs> Chicago alderman? You sure? This is exactly what I heard yesterday out of the once great city. Now get all. There you go. Vote vote Democrat, I dare you. Mitchell displains. Hey, Sean, you know, we were talking about um, Cuba and Castro. The CIA, the mafia, they tried to get him. They couldn't do it. Now... Here's the question. They could have killed him in New York. He was in New York being touted as a hero, an intellectual lawyer. He went to school in in America. You could have popped the guy 48 different times. That's true. Very true. And by the way, you know, Nixon, under Eisenhower, that's who hatched the Bay of Pigs. I mean, that that hatched the plans of the the island. It was called Operation Trinidad. They switched it to Zapata because George Bush, that's his company. So you have to understand the word. George Bush oh, yeah. ran the Bay of Pigs. Now, if, if Nixon beats Kennedy in 1960, right, so say he wins, okay, despite all the problems, he goes into Cuba and does what under, I think they take the island. I think Nixon takes the island, he doubles down on Russia, they work things out, and they control it, and then you can get your cigars yeah. for, like, you know, wholesale price. <laughs> yeah, I like that. You want to know, Mitchell, that's why when, when, when you talk about all of this stuff, and I understand all of it, and sometimes people ask me, aren't you afraid about saying you're not religious? No, don't you understand? I win either way. Because if I don't go to paradise and I wake up in hell, I get to kill these communists all over again for eternity. Thank you, Mitchell. Appreciate the call. Uh, Shelly Elgin. Hello. I wanted to talk about that young hero, the 12-year-old Calvin that you mentioned. 12 years and old. contrast modern day. Um, when I was 10, 
people entrusted their babies with me to babysit in the early 70s. Mm-hmm. Recently, probably 10 years ago, a friend's husband had to go to the hospital. They had a 12-year-old boy. I said, leave him alone. She was looking for someone to take care of him. She said she can't. The law in Illinois. Well, I did some research because I used to be a lawyer. And the um, only safe bet for leaving your child home alone and not having it taken by DCFS was if the kid was 14 or over. Shelly, do you realize we're so blessed to be old? I mean this. I wouldn't want to grow up under this kind of nonsense ever. I don't ever remember not being told to work or do something. I don't ever remember being talked to like I was entitled to something. And all I had to do was be a good little boy. I had to not only go to school. You had to perform. You had to help everybody. You had to worry about things and worry about money. You have. This is why communism has taken hold. Listen to the platform of the Communist Party. It is the Democrats because you make the people mentally soft and that's how it destroys it. Well, and you, you build in that envy, that covetous nature, and that's what it thrives on. That's why all of these reporters, they're not talking about this story. Do you understand these these people who've never done anything? Our government just took the decisions and the process of being a business owner away from everybody and nobody cares. It's disgusting. I I had a business, I had a law practice, and if I had to deal with this, I would have shuttered it at the time and said, no one's telling me what to do. I was not a bad boss, but I wasn't going to be told. In fact, I that's what we need wage, now. I wasn't going to be told what to do and how to do it. If you're going to turn me into a slave, days to give people. I'm a terrible slave. You turn me into a slave, I'll burn the house down. Thank you very much. 312-642-5600. Marxists, socialists, and communists are not welcome on the Sean Thompson Show on AM560, The Answer. AM560, The Answer. Here's another thing our heroes didn't fight for. Okay, here we go. More than a year after President Biden signed his $1 trillion infrastructure deal into law, it's making waves again on social media. I just found something super interesting that you should probably know about. A TikTok video with more than 100,000 likes says the bill, which allocated funding for everything from roads and bridges to high-speed internet, has a hidden provision that will impact all cars made after 2026. Buried in Biden's infrastructure bill is a mandatory backdoor kill switch for your car. Uh, Are you out of your frackin' mind? You go to you call my guy still Steve at Wilkins Mazda and Hyundai. You buy a car now. You ain't gonna buy one of these junks. Let the government shut your car down. Nobody, no American veteran fought for what we're living through. Not a one of them. Martin and Wilmette. Yeah, I want to give a shout out to a World War II dentist that put in plates and. Uh, extractions on the battlefield of the Ardennes Force in the Battle of the Bulge. Wow. wow. On the field. No gun, no weapon. They weren't be allowed to have weapons, the medical corps. On the, on the Battle of the Bulge, uh, maybe, you know. <laughs> Martin, I, I, I have so a I, clip. I don't know if it was, uh, you know, what percentage of the time that he was doing it was in the uh, uh, you know lull of the battlefield, though. There is but no lull. He was out there I'm, with no weapon, saving Americans, no helping Americans, risking his own life without the ability to shoot back. That's right. Yeah. Dr. Martin T. Reed, 
Martin T. Reed. Thank you very much. My old man. Oh, I love it. Thank you. Thank you very much, Martin. I appreciate it. When he got back, he was the only dentist. On the south side of Chicago, and probably the whole, probably the whole damn city, from 1927 on, with the law in the 40s when he went to the war, and then came came back. The only on the south side that, from my research and and, and whatever, where's he buried? The only uh, sepulcher. The only guy that a white dentist that had black patients. On the south, uh, on the uh, south side, where there are a lot of black people during the forties and and even from the twenties after the the, yeah. the migration, yeah. they no. worked at the mills and 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 the stockyards and whatever. He, from what I understand, he was the only one. Thank you, Martin. I appreciate it very much. He didn't need the government to do anything for him. Nobody had to tell him to do that. You do the right thing, uh, Craig and Mount Greenwood. Sean, thank you much for taking my call. Uh, I got an idea I want to run past you. Oh, you know how that RNC, oh yeah, the RNC, they're no good for Trump, they're no good for us, and you, I know how you feel about them, and you're exactly right. Trump is the kind of guy, man, business guy, he, he does big things and stuff. He ought to take and give him an ultimatum, knock it off with all the bulldog and everything, he, and tell him, I'll start my own thing, it'll be TNC, well, Trump National Committee, and he could have his own, and we'll all follow, you know, like, uh, give give to that, but it's uh, Cut well, off that RNC. This was the problem with with not doing the thing something when you should. Now you have two low life rats, Romney and Joe Manchin, who are going to start some no name bulldog. This is what we needed him to do. But this is the problem, brother. He's a little slow on the uptake with some things. He did some great things, but it, it, all he needs to do is exactly what you said. I'm not a Republican anymore. I'm not a Republican anymore. Now you vote for the Liberty Party. And by the way, I'm terribly sorry for listening and trusting anybody that last year of my presidency. And if I could do it again, I would reverse the PPP and I would definitely reverse Operation Warp Speed. If he does that, he's the winner. But he's a little slow on the uptake and you're going to get beat to the dance by a guy in magic underpants. We'll be back after this. From the streets of Melrose Park to the trading floor of the Merc, he's fought for every dollar he's ever earned. And now, with personal liberty and our system of capitalism under assault in America, he's here to seize back our rights from the government. With a cigar in one hand and a copy of the Declaration of Independence in the other, he's Sean Thompson. And this is The Sean Thompson Show. This looks like a job for me, so everybody just follow me, because we need a little controversy. The golden goose of corruption and how it's laid out. You see, in order to sell false hope, you first have to sell fear. Eco-Nazism, as I refer to it, or is the green agenda as it's commonly known, is the greatest golden goose of all government corruption. It also acts as a cover for government failure in the meantime. Well, of course the economy's not doing good. Climate change, it's hotter. What? What do you mean it's hotter? It's never been hot before? Of course it has. You've only been keeping records for 130 years, you morons. In the meantime, sometimes it takes smarter people than street people to explain that. My next guest is one of those geniuses. Yes, he is. Very impressed. I can't wait to talk to him. He uh, got his PhD from the University of Chicago. He now is the found, one of the founders for the Barker Group, 
which holds everything from companies to real estate. He's David Barker, and he used to be an economist for the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. How are you, Mr. Barker? Thank you for joining me. Well, just fine. Thank you for having me. So you'll have to forgive me. My my school of economics was the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. I didn't go through all that pesky college, but the good news is by the time I was done graduating, I was making far more than the professors because I was a quick study. And I have a theory that government wants to use all types of fear and all phony collusions, excuses, and different reasons and conclusions to backdoor nationalize the private economy away from the American people. What do you think? Oh, I think that's uh, I think that's right. And uh, as you say, climate change is a perfect way to spread that kind of fear and give that kind of opportunity for control. Now, for some reason, the problem, the 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 zealots of climate change, as it is clearly a religion, they seem to be immune to actual fact and data. For instance, it has been warmer in our past from what we know. But we really don't know, as the records we have are infinitesimal in the grand scheme of of how old the earth really is. Is that not true? Well, that's true. Yes, our temperature records go back to the late 1800s. And the idea, potentially, our earth could be not just millions or tens of millions. Our earth could be billions of years old, couldn't it? That's a lot longer than 100 years, yes. (laughs) So this would be similar to looking at the Mona Lisa 100 yards away from a keyhole and telling me how pretty her smile is, right? Hard to get a big picture of things when you've got just a small amount of data. That's true. So now, my uh, my lovely honey bunny is not a subscriber to the Wall Street Journal. However, what I do realize from what I can read in your article is that you have decimated the idea that this is somehow based in any economic principle. Have you not? And could you go through it with me? Well, sure. I'd be happy to. Uh, so... Uh, some of the research that's been done on uh, the effect of higher temperatures on economic growth uh, were done by a Nobel Prize winning uh, economist uh, who found that the effect would be something like 2 or 3% of GDP in the year 2100. So in other words, if we do nothing to change, to, to mitigate climate change, uh, worst case, uh, we're, we're going to lose 2 or 3% of GDP uh, you know, 80 years from now. Well, with normal economic growth in the year 2100, we're going to be five times richer than we are now. And so with a loss of two or three percent, we'll be 4.9 times richer instead of five. And that's not a catastrophe. So the best economic research shows there's no reason to think that climate change would be an economic catastrophe. So what climate alarmists have done is said, well, let's show that higher temperatures will affect economic growth. And some of the best economists, in the, or the most celebrated economists in the country, award winners, people at Harvard and other top universities have done this research to try and show that. Uh, and what I did was to look carefully at that research and find that it is full of holes. It's just absolutely flimsy research. David, one of the things that I love about Americanism is that it's based in the old fundamentals of property rights. And I love the idea that we are the youngest but the richest because we embrace the idea of property rights. We have the fastest growing private economy. Uh, 
And one of the things that you have to recognize, I, I don't care if you are a quasi-Marxist and you, you think you're onto something with this government supremacy. The reality is one thing is for certain about the economy. The one thing we know is that we don't know. We didn't know about what would happen with the Silicon Valley boom. We didn't know how much of our economy would go into a different direction and grow at massive expansions. We also didn't know the manufacturing we thought was a good economy was only the infancy of the American economy. So there are so many things we don't know. Why do so many people who proclaim themselves to be smart have the audacity to make a prediction about eight decades in the future? Oh, Absolutely right. I mean, that list goes on and on. I mean, even the recent inflation, uh, the experts didn't believe it was going to happen. Uh, you know, they, you, you, you know, increase the money supply by huge amounts and they thought there wouldn't be inflation. That shows you the state of economic models and uh, economic knowledge. Uh, so you're right. They can't predict, they couldn't predict the crash of 08. They, 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 can't they don't understand the economy well enough to predict those kinds of things it's ridiculous to think that they could predict the state of the economy uh you know at the end of this century david there's something else that um i think needs to be taken in a, into account and it's never really been quantified so that it has the proper perspective do we know how many trillions of dollars we've already wasted on the nonsense of what th- is referred to as alternative energy all of which has a, the same common denominator of oil which is what they're trying to get away from and the reality is they really don't know how to get away and there is no such thing of alternative energy because it's either made from oil or it exists on the magic holes in the wall some call electricity correct yes a huge amount of money have been spent and it's it's not just the amount of money that's spent on these programs but the other damage that it causes to the economy from having a less reliable grid and uh you know having to switch things over uh, it's a, it's a very expensive uh, program I have come to the conclusion. Now, I, I, I know this is going to sound like I'm attacking you, but I am not. I am attacking the idea of an entity that operates on an oligarch system masking itself as part of the government the whole time having an exclusivity on so many of the choices in this world or in, in this country, specifically of the economy. And that is the Federal Reserve. I have always had an argument with the stated uh, knowledge that they need to manipulate the velocity of money in order to, to reach this utopian nonsense, which they always seem to be at least a lap behind. And what I think they're doing is simply using the excuses of their own failure as a power grab. And if you look throughout history, the idea of the Federal Reserve cranking up interest rates to somehow deliver uh, a balanced economy, what they're in essence saying without saying it is we have to put enough of you into bankruptcy. We have to take enough of you into economic turmoil so that you cannot afford to be part of the economy. And somehow that will balance it out. That seems insane to me. Am I crazy or, or is everyone else? Right. Oh, but that's the stated goal. I mean, they don't hide that, but that's their goal is to create pain uh, in order to uh, offset the errors that, that were made by government uh, to cause inflation. And the idea that we are referring to history as if it was a success when, in fact, it's being rewritten. I don't like Paul Volcker. In fact, I like to use his real first name, Adolf. And Adolf Volcker, I think, is a lie. I don't think he's the one that's responsible for Reaganomics. I remember Ronald Reagan when he was running for president. I remember him when he was the congressman, I mean, the, the governor of California. And he, upon getting in, he didn't raise interest rates. In fact, 
he lowered interest rates. And without people having access to loans, without them being thrown into bankruptcy and, and, and financial turmoil through massive inflated costs, you really can't grow an economy from the private side of things. In fact, all you can do is grow it from government uh, uh, subsidies, can't you? Yeah. And, you know, Ronald Reagan did many things to improve economic growth, cutting tax rates, reducing regulation, and all of that had a giant effect. And, and the Federal Reserve is also involved in this climate research. Some of the papers that I debunked came out of the Federal Reserve system. They, they uh, have a lot of economists working on this problem, working on climate change. And they're also trying to impose, you know, climate audits and things like that on, uh, on banks. So the failure is almost so large it's such a tsunami of insane government waste fraud and abuse when it comes to this topic of climate change and yet it marches on and do you think maybe the way to approach it is to take any of the most recent examples of government invested failure like for instance that phony car i believe it's called the lucid right lucid car the lucid electric car which the car was supposed to sell for what ninety thousand if you got if you receive the car, you had to roll the windows down like the old 70s when we first started driving. Or if you get the new one with the silver roof, it's 265000 Yet that company has lost 93% of its inflated stock value. Do you think it's, it's beneficial to argue on the benefit that they've never succeeded at any of their stated goals and objectives or companies? How would you oh, it's a combat great, this? Yeah, it's a great argument, uh, and it ought to prevail, but uh, people don't seem to listen. I mean, you know, when these climate studies come out, they get massive amounts of media attention. Uh, and when I debunk it, I get no media attention. I'm wondering if, um, because I don't believe the, the American people agree with the government. In fact, I think that they completely disagree. However, when you see government take the posture it's taken over these last three years, it is it is in, in the face of the American people. And yet we have now increased our debt two thirds in the last 14 years under two yeah. Democrats and one Republican. At a certain point, does that become undeniable? Oh, I think so, particularly at the kinds of interest rates that we have now that mean that much debt is paying that much more interest. And on, on the entitlement programs alone, we will face a, uh, a day of reckoning that's not that far off. Now, David Barker, you spent your time and you were part of the uh, Federal Reserve in New York. I, I have a question for you. Is Janet Yellen as beautiful in person as she appears to be on TV? <laughs> Uh, I I was at the Federal Reserve before uh, before her time, so uh, I'm afraid I can't answer that. So when you're sitting around in these meetings and you're listening to them and you realize that um, what they've managed to do is destroy the private lending in in the nation and you see the massive destruction of our banking and private banks are by the wayside and you see the very scallywags like Chris Dodd and Barney Frank have bills presented to them because there is, in my opinion, there's no way they not only didn't read Dodd-Frank, I don't think they, they wrote it. I think it was written by a couple of concerned insiders. And you see the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau born from this bill, and yet you realize the people who inhabit that bureaucracy are not interested in the stoking of free property rights or, or capitalism. What do you think the future holds for the nation as we still can't unwind the cost of regulatory backdoor 
takeover of our of our lending system and our banks. What do you what do you predict for the future? Do you think ultimately the fail will be like so obvious we have to go back to freedom and free markets? Well, that's a great question. Uh, but other countries have failed terribly in the past, and nothing stopped that failure. Uh, you know, ridiculous policies that, you know, that not only, uh, you know, limited growth reversed it and caused giant, you know, amounts of economic destruction. And, uh, you know, nothing really checked it for a very, very long time. Think about the Soviet Union and uh, just how far it went in lowering living standards before it finally collapsed. So, uh, you know, from that point of view, no, I'm not that uh, optimistic. Uh, But some events like the Social Security Trust Fund uh, running out of money uh, might wake people up. Uh, But uh, I don't know. I'm not sure that I would bet on that. As you see a fear of people who are running for for office, you know, I mean, really, Washington, D.C., it's Hollywood for ugly people. You know that they don't understand the gravity and 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 the grasp of what they're doing. But ultimately, the. The reason I was so arrogant in the American system, the American economics, is because of people like you. And I mean that. People who were in positions of power that wanted to protect the way in which you and your family improved your life, so much so, you wouldn't sit idly by as these imbeciles take us into destruction and economic bankruptcy. And that specific topic you brought up of Social Security, my allegation is it has always been a fraud. It's always been a Ponzi scheme. There isn't a trust fund. It is a weapon of taxation and control. And the reality is that we're never going to fix it unless we are allowed the very principles of property and freedom and allow people to get out of it. Do you think are you surprised it's not it hasn't happened already where a politician hasn't stood up and said Social Security doesn't work and I'm going to let you out of it? Well, this is one reason why I'm a little pessimistic that there have been some popular, uh, some politicians who have said things like that, and they don't win elections. Um, you know, uh, George Bush, uh, the younger George Bush, tried some Social Security reforms and had no luck at all with them, and uh, it, it was not popular. So uh, people seem to have their heads in the sand uh, about this. You remember in the 90s, the 80s, it was the the devil in Goldman Sachs. Now, when you see the oligarchs that control Wall Street and you look at uh, BlackRock, Blackstone, you look at these these conglomerates that that really are, 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 are void of any kind of restraint and restraint on the new Wall Street. Has Wall Street not only taken a turn for the worse, but does it even exist to the way I remember when I was in the 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 Chicago Mercantile Exchange back in the 90s and early 2000s? Does it even exist to where you can have the kind of free, independent investors of that era? Well, it's very different now, and things are much more regulated, and there's much more you know, fear, of, uh, fear of government uh, if you are innovate, if you uh, take a different approach. And uh, I think over time, all of those, uh, all of those regulations, all of those interventions, uh, build up in their effect on economic growth and 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 weigh us down and uh, make us much less wealthy than we otherwise could have been. One of the greatest victories when it comes to the private economy in my history, and I celebrate it to this day, um, was when Hank Paulson and Al Gore were the principals behind the climate exchange when they were trying to have a market based on the nonsense of carbon tax. It was beaten. I think it was 2004, 2003, 
and you haven't heard much about it. When you see that Europe implemented a carbon tax and when you realize the kind of government we have now, do you think that the uh, that it'll be that we'll be able to fight off a carbon corrupt tax system in the future? Well, yes, because I think now as bad as a carbon tax would be, it's not as bad as top down you know, government dictates on how exactly the economy will work. And I think that the reason that carbon taxes have failed politically is that uh, the left, the climate alarmists, don't really like them. They want government dictating to the economy exactly how to do. They don't want a carbon tax that will allow the economy to, you know, react to those incentives on its own. And so, again, I agree with you. I think the carbon tax is a terrible idea, but it's better than, uh, you know, these kind of, uh, you know, economic dictatorship. Yeah, and you know, it's funny. I remember T. Boone Pickens. Do you remember when he was going to make his money in wind? And uh, it didn't take him long. It took him about nine months to lose, what, $680 million or some ridiculous amount of money. Do you think there ultimately there will become a time when we can refer to the failings of the past and the fascism of American government in a bipartisan way to educate new people that are elected to office? And I, I think it's hopeful when you see speakers uh, like Mike Johnson. I'm wondering if you think there's some optimism there and his ability to understand we have to do our spending bills one bill at a time, and he doesn't appear to be afraid to shut the government down because it's going to take something drastic to change the trajectory, isn't it? Yes. No, I agree. And I hope that things like that will continue to happen. And I agree. It, it, it's, not, uh, we, it's not time to give up hope yet. There's still plenty of uh, fight left in, the, uh, you know, in, in, in America. And, uh, so the, and, and absolutely, if the shackles were taken off of the economy, we would rock it and grow. Uh, so no, it, it, there is reason for, uh, for hope, but uh, there are also some uh, very powerful uh, forces uh, holding us back. David Barker, before I let you go, I see you've transitioned now and you have Barker Companies and you own and manage and develop apartments and other real estate investments. So I'm, I, before I let you go, this is a Chicago-based radio show. Would you take a Chicago commercial property if it was given to you? <laughs> no need to answer. I, uh, I don't want to get you audited. In the meantime, where, right. can, where can my people go to keep an eye on you? I already know what you were going to say. Oh, yeah. Uh, so my work has been published in a uh, Econ Journal Watch. Uh, that's a, uh, a, a economics journal that's devoted to critiquing the work that's done in other economics journals. Wonderful, David Barker. Next time I'm going to have you on, I want to talk about the destruction of a the number two plank of the Communist Manifesto called a progressive tax versus the success of countries that implement a flat tax. So I'm going to have you on again because I've really enjoyed it. Great. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much, David Barker. We'll be back with your calls and comments. He's Sean Thompson. Hello, Mr. Thompson. And this is the Sean Thompson Show on AM 560. The answer. AM 560. The answer. Excellent. Excellent, squirrel. In the frigid pre-dawn morning of January 25th, 2008, a 24-year-old Green Beret volunteered to serve as point man on his detachment's patrol. He was Army Staff Sergeant Robert Miller, and he was on his second tour of duty in Afghanistan. Miller kicked off the battle using his vehicle's turret-mounted MK-19 grenade launcher to clear out 20 insurgents they had encountered. As they crossed a narrow bridge, they were met by 150 enemy fighters. 
Since Miller was out front, he yelled to his teammates to pull back while he charged the enemy, some of whom were within 20 feet, to draw their fire. After killing at least 10 insurgents, wounding dozens more, and repeatedly exposing himself to withering enemy fire while moving from position to position, Staff Sergeant Miller was mortally wounded by enemy fire. He loved what he was doing and he was very good at it, said Miller's father, Phil, through tears at the Medal of Honor ceremony in 2010. One of our Green Beret. At least 30 Aloha snack bar. Another veteran. John Garfield Ridge. Hey, Sean, thanks for taking my call, brother. Thanks for making it. You know, I uh, just wanted to, to give a happy birthday to, to the Marine Corps, you know, and all of our veterans. Uh, you know, my, my grandfather was a Marine. You know, he fought on the front lines at Iwo Jima. Uh, he came home. He became a Chicago cop. Uh, he worked the, uh, the DNC convention in 68. Uh, he had, uh, you know, stories of urine and feces and everything that they threw on him when he did it. Uh, yeah. All of this, Sean. You know, the worst part, all the while, you know, all his family businesses, you know, in the Bridgeport neighborhood, uh, they had a bakery, among others. You know, the city would send their goons in, basically, and say, you know, you either put up uh, a sign in your window, you know, a Mayor Daly sign, or expect a visit from the health inspector, Sean. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it shows you what these, these yeah. people thought uh, of the people who served, and, and really everybody, you know. I mean, this uh, Democrat Party, it's... It is what it's always been, Sean. It's just a mafia of uh, rat bastards, man. That's Thank all it is. Thank you very much. Oh, that's got to get on the back of my shirt. Thank you very much. I appreciate the call, John and Garfield Ridge. Wes on the northwest side. How you doing? Good. I just wanted to call about this carbon tax. It's based on what the Paris Accord is. And every like how every country gets credits. It doesn't really do anything for our environment because the companies that burn through their credits, I mean, countries that burn through their credits just go purchase our credits from countries that aren't industrialized. So what's basically going to happen is everyone's wondering why Bill Gates is buying all this farmland. Well, gee, carbon tax comes in and it's just another form of profiteering because there's going to be all these big companies that are going to burn through their credits and lo and behold, Bill Gates is going to come in and sell his Market up. farmland credits. Yeah. Yep. You know, you, you know, Wes, I was, uh, myself and a few other guys, my old partner, we were invited to a market maker's uh, uh, talk about the, the pending at that time. They were going to do it in Chicago, the climate exchange. And they basically came out and said, it's going to be great because the coasts, you'll be able to do what's called a condor. The coasts will be higher priced than the Midwest. So you guys in the, who are market makers, you're always going to be able to leg in and leg out of that, that condor. Whether you start in California and you end up in New York or you, you know what I mean? There's a way to, to put on what's called a condor. It's a three-legged spread, basically. And I basically said, well, well, well so then you're saying that it's fixed. It's price fixed. He goes, well, that's just the way it breaks down. From day one, it was a scam. And it's a scam to now. And once again, there'll be oligarchs that are raping the people. And the people who can afford it the least will pay taxes on everything they buy for another bulldung scheme. Because the reality is they can't afford any of their policies. Every one of these Democrat rat bastards, not one policy, not one that works the way it says. In fact, it all 
toils in bankruptcy. All they need now is just another excuse to destroy your city, your county, your state. After walking with a crutch and traveling over three miles by bus to get to her favorite grocery store, Southsider Lizette Watkins arrived to find the Aldi store at 76 in Ashland closed. That's all right. They got the new Chicago store. Give me that. Ah, rats. Brian uh, Wheatfield. Hey, Sean, how you doing? Thanks for taking my call. Best show on the radio. And I have an idea. I want to run by you after my comment. But so I'm in the house making dinner for my wife, and I'm watching WGN News, and your girlfriend, Michael Matera, is on there, and they start talking about Israel. And the first thing out of her mouth was, they're bombing near hospitals, you know, Israel, of course. And Mm -hmm. I thought, this is unbelievable. I shut it off. Grabbed a cigar, walked out to the shop. That's all you can do, baby, because the reality is she's too stupid. She's too stupid Uh to understand what Hamas has done. She's too stupid to know that they're hiding their terrorists, the same one, our 24-year-old Green Beret, Mott's 30 of them by himself in the phony ambulances. They use their people as shields. But then again, their people are the ones that spit. And the Jewish girl that was raped and murdered and dragged through the streets. Go ahead. What's the other thing you want to run past me? Hey, so, you know, you used to have Friday features with Sean. How about Friday nights? What are you smoking? Oh, I like it. All right. So you, you start. What are you smoking? Oh, shit. I got to put my glasses. Oh, you can't swear. Did he swear? I think he did. Dropped him. All right. I gotta, you can't swear. We got to drop him. I wanted to know. He had to put his glasses on, though. So I'm going to guess for him. He was smoking a Hoyo de Monterey number one. Stephen Huntley. Hey, Sean. Thanks for taking my call. I'm looking forward to seeing you again at the Freedom Summit tomorrow. Yes. I gotta, you know, I got to be there at like 845. I said, Proft is the morning guy. I am afternoons. Why do I have to be there at 845? But I'm, gonna, I'm happy to do it. Can't wait. I'm looking forward to it, Sean. Yeah. Hey, I, you know, I don't understand why we, the people who, who have some sense of morality and, and decency, aren't standing hand in hand from coast to coast, border to border, demanding that the hostages be released. There's nobody doing that. Steve, brother, you're just experiencing it because you live in a Democrat-run sewer. I'm going to tell you right now, when I left, I've been here here too long, in fact. I I, I left last weekend, and I came here. When I left, the day I left Florida, on my way to the studio, on the corner of a pretty busy area right by my house, there were 45 people waving American flags, waving uh, uh, the Jewish star Israel flags, and that were, were showing the pictures of the kids that were held hostage, mainly the young babies. We still have the baby that's one years old. And then they have the old women. In good run areas, you know who lives there? Good people. And they understand that whether it's the Taliban, Hamas, Hezbollah, Houthi, and the vice president Blowfish, or whoever it is, they're all the same 7th century yard nomaret bastards that our good Green Beret killed back in Iraq, 30 of them by himself. They understand that. So in good areas all throughout the world, not just our country, people understand what we're facing. Here, we have sympathizers and cultists and Democrats. That's the problem. Thank you, Stephen Huntley. Brian and Gurney. Hey, Sean. Good evening. Have a nice weekend, first of all. Second, um, I know you're not a big Vivek Ramaswamy fan. I would be if he wasn't a pump and dump scam artist. Hey, but listen, 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 listen. He gave Lester Holt an earful last night 
on the, on, I couldn't uh, agree on more with eight. you. It was beautiful. Oh, I watched it. It was great. The other night. Yeah, it was. And that smirk on that lady's face. Mm-hmm. Uh, like that smirk off her face. You know what else would be great? If he wasn't there and put there as a straw horse to take people who would support Trump and bring them into a position you can never win and support that $2 whore in a $3 world. What do you think of that? Great idea, Sean. Great idea. No, beware that bear trap. That's an alley you don't go down. You understand? In the old neighborhood, they would, there, there'd, be a, there'd be a girl with a light on her way down the alley. And the problem is guys were lured for the pretty girl. It was everything they wanted. And once they started walking down that alley, they never came out the other side. That's what Vivek Ramaswamy supporters will figure out sooner or later. Thank you very much. He's a con artist. 312-642-5600. He believes in freedom, capitalism, and individual liberty. And because of that, he's become an enemy of the state. He's Sean Thompson. And this is The Sean Thompson Show on AM560, The Answer. AM560, The Answer. Veterans, not only did they fight against communism, socialism, and government corruption, but they certainly wouldn't tolerate a saboteur and a traitor. Uh, First of all, to my colleague on the left... He said he understood the intent of this legislation. Well, this, you are actually misunderstand or misrepresenting the intent. This is not about students. This is about money coming from uh, nations that are a national security threat to us. This bill establishes a zero tolerance policy toward nations that pose a national security threat, such as China and Iran. It requires full transparency if these adversarial nations contribute even a single dollar to any of our colleges or universities. During 2018 and 2019, Joe Biden's Penn Biden Universe, Penn Biden Center at the University of Pennsylvania received more than a half a million dollars from a group with ties to the Communist Party of China. The House Oversight Committee also discovered that the University of Pennsylvania paid Joe Biden $900,000 during this very same period. Now, what'd they pay him for? What did they pay him for? Because they wanted a friend? They wanted a guarantee that our country would, would be weaker and their country would be stronger. You can refer to it as Bidenomics. You can refer to it as the Biden administration. But you better refer to him for what he is. A traitor and a thief. Holly displains. Hi. Yeah, this is off topic, but what I'd like to share is um, if the market's going to go down 20 or 30 percent and we're facing all these and we have the kids who are in desperation, there's a lot of listeners. Why not make a donation to that St. John's school? There's a lot of single parents. There's a lot of parents struggling, the worker bees, and they would love their kids to be able to go to a private school. And And that used to be tax deductible until this fat slob got rid of it. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah. we got to put our money somewhere, and if it's going to collapse or digital or whatever, yeah. why not fund and invest the next generation? Yeah. So I just want to share that. Uh, or you could help move the kids out of state. That would be a good idea. Eric, you got about 30 seconds, kid. Eric, you're blowing oh. seconds. You, they're, they're, you're, hey, yeah. all I want to say was, all I want to say was, I keep hearing hostages, 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 but what really needs to happen is the American people need to realize we are the hostages. But the difference is we can free ourselves if we properly use the Bill of Rights in the Constitution. I like it. I hope people listen to you. And, 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 and he's right. 
because our country is built on unalienable rights of you, not the strength and the totalitarianism of a corrupt government. That sounds a lot like the communists used to sound, right? You slobs, you Democrat horse, not to mention you're like Joe Biden. You're just getting the kickbacks. That's how they walk around in the $6,000 suits without paying their water bill. Right, Brandon Johnson, you bust out whore. We'll be back in two days to kick his teeth down his throat. In the meantime, if you're coming to Freedom Square, or Freedom Summit, excuse me, and Freedom Square will be there. I look forward to meeting you tomorrow. Remember, we win in the end. We win in, even now. We're still Americans. Cue the music, squirrel. healthy, safe Veterans Day. Have a healthy, safe weekend. If you're around Democrats, keep your head on a swivel. We'll be back on Monday. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.